This is a Triple J podcast. So Pip and I did a whole episode called We Need to Talk About Masculinity. If you haven't already listened to it, get into your feeds, listen to it. It's a really important episode where we talk about the traditional stereotype of masculinity and how this is really impacting men's mental health and the ability for some guys to be able to open up and be vulnerable and reach out for help and how we're seeing a lot of really young guys look to role models like, you know, problematic personalities like Andrew Tate, people who really emulate that really stoic, traditional, masculine um, stereotype. And in that podcast episode, we played snippets from our chat that we had with Dr. Zach Seidler. He is a clinical psychologist, the global director of men's mental health research at Movember, and just an absolute expert in men's mental health. And I just thought that, you know, he had so much incredible stuff to say about this, uh, had so much research, and I just thought, you know, this conversation just needs to be played all out. You need to hear the whole thing. So here's a bit of a bonus episode for you. Uh, We do talk a lot about men's mental health. We talk a lot about uh, violence as well. So uh, there will be some resources in the show notes. So if you need to, make sure you pause the episode if it's bringing up too much stuff for you and come back to it whenever you feel ready. Thanks for having me, Dee. Great to be back. We posted on our Instagram this week and we put up a story asking men if they related to the experience of feeling like they couldn't open up and talk about their feelings, talk about their mental health. They couldn't cry. They couldn't be emotional. And 85% of guys said that that rang true to them, um, that they felt like it was something. A lot of the DMs we got was that they felt like they had to kind of suffer in silence. They felt like it was too weak. They felt like they had no friends to turn to. Why, like, especially when it's 2023, like we've had so many conversations about like the patriarch and gender stereotypes. Like why is this still so hard for guys to be able to like lean more into their like vulnerable emotional side. I think what's really important is to to realize how much progress we have made. So while we're still getting 85% of those guys or so, you know, saying that they're struggling with this stuff, it's probably not as omnipresent as it was in previous generations. You know, they're 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 able to do it in certain circumstances with certain people, whereas our dads and grandpas probably had no ability to do this at all. So I'm glad um, that there are certain circumstances where we can discuss what's happening in our lives, but we have a lot of progress still ahead. There's no doubt about that. And I think the reason for this is is twofold. Firstly, there are so many guys who open up and we've done heaps of research at Movember. So many guys open up and regret doing so. So we keep talking about men being more open and vulnerable and, and discussing what's happening in their lives. And yet, so many guys who open up, it falls on deaf ears. It's it's never responded to in a, in a really respectful, open, curious way. You know, Brene Brown, who's everyone's uh, favourite uh, social worker and keynote, she always says, you know, we, we keep telling men to be more vulnerable. And then when they do it and the, the floodgates open, we get to this point where we go, oh, no, 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 that's too much. That's enough. Pull that back, rein it in, you know? And so... I think it's really important that we realize that men and women are, you know, both complicit in this. You know, there is this really complex interplay between the genders that goes on, whereby male emotionality is just not accepted in many instances, in many places. And the second reason for so many guys, male emotionality, the things that they're feeling, 
they don't have any ability in, in many instances to, to communicate it, to know the words, to describe it. And it is often so overwhelming a feeling because it's typically, you know, such a delay between what they feel and then having the ability and the desire to express it, that it just explodes. It's this really huge dam of emotionality that is, is you know, forcing through their veins. And so we need to make sure that we allow guys moment to moment abilities uh not just oh now it's you know a day where we're eating cupcakes let's have a discussion about your well-being we need to find a way to to build this in but to all the men out there who are saying i i don't feel that i can discuss what's going on uh in my everyday life and, and be vulnerable it is about baby steps here it's about realizing that there doesn't need to be everything at once we need to find those safe spaces those times with our mates um, where we can just let little bits out and feel a bit better. You spoke a lot there about, yeah, what to do. And I really want to chat to you soon about that, about like how to be on the receiving end, like how to listen, because I think that's a really important part of this um, conversation as well and the importance of male friendship. But just quickly going back to the idea of that like stoic man, what's that traditional stereotype that we've been sold? So the traditional stereotype of masculinity is really rigid. It's really rigid and it is precarious. You are constantly in this world where the goalposts are moving. It's around being stoic, self-reliant. You know, this, this guy in the 60s who was describing what masculinity was, he talked about the sturdy oak. You know, you're this immovable object. You're a protector, you're a provider, you're the breadwinner. It, it sounds horrible to me. <laughs> um, it's, it's this thing that... Uh, you know, seemingly is this construct that you should be striving to attain, but it's unattainable. And it's what so many men believe to be the pinnacle of what, what manhood looks like, but it's not something that any of them actually value in many ways. And so there's this disconnect between their own personal values about who they want to be and what they want to be, and then what society tells them, what the media tells them. And what we call that in our research is the perception gap this difference between the way that men see themselves and their own values and the way that society talks about manhood and masculinity. We want to get to the point where public and private masculinities can look the same. The way that a guy is with his partner at home with his kids and the way that he moves, you know, in the workplace or, or at the pub, you know, it's so exhausting to put on these different masks all the time. And so we're getting to the point now where masculinity is, you know, when we talk about gender, we only really talk about masculinity at the moment. Femininity is just not, you know, a topic. It's just moving seamlessly through the world and women are, you know, are grappling with it in their own way and having conversations about it. Uh, whereas masculinity is this hot button issue. What is going on? What is the problem? And it's leading to many men shying away in the corner and going, is there something pathological about my manhood? Is there something fundamentally broken about what has been expected of me throughout my years, throughout my teenage years and adolescence of, of trying to understand who I am and what I should be? It's, it's been exhausting for them. And now this, this notion that there is something broken is causing serious division. And that's what we're witnessing play out across society, where you're getting this breakdown amongst you know seemingly progressive men and then you know conservative guys who are trying to hold on to the old ways for dear life we need to find a middle ground 
And so what I always talk about is that there are certain benefits to the traditional ways of being. Stoicism is a very, very healthy form of masculinity. Uh, many women, you know, are extremely stoic and it's something that keeps everyone safe in a crisis. The, the ability to put your head down and just keep going. But you can't do that all the time. You need to make sure that when things are, are overwhelming, you have people to reach out to and, and social connection is, is life-saving, you know? So there are so many different things that, that guys get pretty, uh, you know, steadfast about, and we need to open that up to, to a flexible masculinity moving forward. You mentioned the confusion, A, and also the, the big divide that we're kind of seeing, that you're either on either side of the spectrum. And we know because, you know, like you said, there's a huge cultural conversation at the moment happening around masculinity and we need to like, which is what we're doing right now. But like, why why are we seeing that divide and that huge rise in young guys, young boys in particular, looking to people like Andrew Tate as role models? Like, is it just that confusion that they're feeling? I think it goes beyond confusion and it comes to a perfectly academic term that I would love to drop in here, which is called ontological insecurity. And what that means is that many young men wake up in the morning and fundamentally don't know who they are or who they should be. And this is why I think we are seeing women and girls succeeding across the board. We are seeing them overtake men, you know, in employment, in education, in health, and, you know, power to them. Uh, it's, it's incredible to finally see women, you know, uh, striving for, for greatness and having the, the shackles taken off. But we should be very concerned about what's happening with our boys and men um, because no one benefits if we get to a society where they are not able to reach their potential. And so this ontological insecurity, this feeling of shame, of distancing, this this idea that their identity is in some way being played out in the culture wars and is, is not something that they can go and have conversations with in the light of day. They have to go onto 4chan and Reddit to try to grapple with who they are, what it means to be a man. And those aren't the places where we necessarily want them to be having these chats. We want to accept and challenge young guys especially to come out and have these discussions in the pub at a dinner party, but it's become so polarizing and they're, they're, they're really, you know, pretty, pretty terrified of, of not only being canceled, but of just being misrepresented. And it's not even the idea alone of being misrepresented. It's the idea of not knowing how to represent themselves in the first place uh, because these conversations have been, considered taboo and stigmatized and you know the term toxic is thrown around Peyton Peterson and Rogan are, are dominating here and we need to get to the point where hopefully young women are going on dates and if a guy says he listens to Jordan Peterson we don't go red flag no deal you're out you sit down and you go let's have a chat about this let's open up here because otherwise you're casting them as the enemy and there is no way that we are going to provide connection, which is what all of us are kind of hoping for. Well, especially if you said that the um, they're not having conversations with their friends and they're not talking about it in spaces. So how are they ever having their ideas and beliefs challenged if those conversations aren't playing out and they're just kind of in their like tunnel, their black hole of the content they're consuming and the algorithms? And it's, it's, beyond, beyond, it's beyond being challenged. 
they they should have an ability to describe why they listen to this stuff, what it means to them. You know, the idea that uh, we're always right and they're always wrong is a very dangerous stance to have moving into any conversation. You know, we've done heaps of research looking at why and how people get into the manosphere, what this type of content does for many young men. And largely, it's because it offers them a really clear doctrine of how to be. It says, Peterson wrote 12 Rules for Life. It's literally, wake up in the morning, make your bed. It's pretty pretty simple. Everyone else is like, here's consent. It's grey. It's really, you know, and they're like, what the fuck? I don't know what's going on here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the 12 Rules. That sounds easier. <laughs> um, we need to find a way to simplify what modern masculinity, masculinity can be and to realise that these guys are seeking out these voices and many things that these guys say, you know, I've watched plenty of it. It's mildly terrifying. My partner's worried about my YouTube algorithm, but the, the, when it comes down to it, if you actually watch lots of this stuff, you know, 40% of it is innocuous. It is, this is, you need to respect people. You need to respect yourself. You need to work hard, you know? They've got this underlying belief about self-betterment, which is what attracts the young men to it. It just so happens that there is always a wash of misogyny and homophobia. And so many of the young men, they leave and they're like, no, 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 I didn't buy into any of that stuff. But when you're watching hours and hours of it, it you know takes its toll. So we want to have that conversation about what was it that really drew your attention? What was it that gave you a sense of meaning and purpose? And how can we find another mechanism to provide you with that sense of identity. I mean, I think Andrew Tate has moved away from sexism and homophobia because yesterday he tweeted about not eating food. So now he's coming for eating. Um, you mentioned toxic masculinity. That is something that is a huge buzzword at the moment. And I, we were actually using here at The Hookup before I had a conversation with you before off air, um, how you don't like the term. And I found your answer really, yeah, intriguing. Why do you think we should refrain from using the term toxic masculinity? Yeah. So I've got a lot of thoughts about this term and I, and lots of them come from my clinical experience and, and, you know, sitting down in a room with a young guy who is displaying some of these behaviors. I can assure you the second you drop that term, he's out. He's got no desire to engage with you in behavior change, to engage with you in conversation about what it means to be a man and how to move through this world. The reason I do not like the term toxic masculinity is because it is overly simplistic and it implies this innate fixed idea of what it means to be a man. And all that does is push the very guys away that we need to bring into the conversation. There is no benefit in labeling the enemy being 50% of the population, you know, this thing that they're born with, this, this gender that they're born with as being problematic and pathological. How are we going to get to a solution if, if that's the way that we go about this? Instead, what I talk about is there has to be an understanding that there are certain behaviours that men enact that are toxic, that are dangerous to themselves and that are dangerous to others. But there is a spectrum here. And there, are, there is context and there are times and places. And if we attribute this thing to, to many young guys, for instance, who are going through serious identity formation and we say this is toxic masculinity, there will be a self-fulfilling prophecy that takes place and they will start to 
believe that this is something that that is a part of them and it will just lead to more and more shit behavior toxic masculinity as a term strips men of responsibility it strips them of their agency because it says this thing that you have that you have been handed to you is broken and so whatever happens is somewhat out of your control it's not a decision making process it's toxic and that's the way that you are and always have been and always will be i have such a firm belief that men are capable of so much more that they do shit things that they hurt people but that they have the ability to do better and if we use the term toxic masculinity they will jump off the train and they will not engage with us in meaningful dialogue about what it means to be a man in the 21st century so do you think it's better to call it like say the violence like the the epidemic of violence that we're seeing come from men like that behavior is that masculine driven behavior is toxic is that the way that we should better describe it rather than like toxic exactly it's it's what's murderous like it's it's not even toxic like toxic is, is bullshit to describe what is happening from a the epidemic of violence it's it's something uh that is baked into our society and masculinity is one of many reasons you know there's entitlement there's there's shame there's mental health there's you know all of these relational factors to to you know bring it all down to to masculinity i think is simplifying what's going on and it's the reason that we're not succeeding in attempting to solve this stuff but the way that I see it is that there is no one masculinity. If we say toxic masculinity, that implies there is one thing you should all be striving for, you should all be working towards. And if you don't get there, you've failed. This success and failure narrative that so many young men are grappling with each day is the exhausting thing that we want to get them away from. We want to talk about masculinities, the fact that there are multiple ways of being and that just because you acted one way the day before, you do not have to do that again. There has to be an understanding of rehabilitation and regulation of behavior. Guys can do whatever they want, whenever they want. These are all decisions that are within their control. And we want to lean them towards the light, towards discussing this stuff with with friends and family. And not, you know, we spoke about this last time, Dee. I don't want them to go and just throw this stuff on their mothers and partners and the women with the emotional labor we want this to be shared amongst mankind, you know, so that they can do the work, understand it and go, what are what are the different versions of me? What are the different ways that I enact my masculinity? What are some ways that are, that are harmful and that I want to start to work on? And what are some ways that are beautiful? What do I do with my daughter? How do I go about looking after my my partner when she's sick? You know, how can we find ways to ramp up you know, the healthy masculinities and to start to go, what are those behaviors that are really not in my best interest? How can I work on those? I love that so much. And Zach, you spoke there about, you know, like sharing the load, which I love because a lot of guys that I've spoken to lately are kind of, you know, like Dylan, for instance, had a, in his book, um, Honest Chat, spoke about how like he realized that a lot of that weighs on his partner, his mom, the emotional load and how he talks about the importance of male friendship, which I really loved. It's like, it's time to start having these conversations with the men in your life and, you know, thinking about ways that we could try and bring out that healthy masculinity. What do you think about male friendship and just like really trying to like, and how are ways that guys can 
like lean on their friends more and, and have more of an open conversation about their like vulnerabilities and emotions. Well, I'm lucky to have had so many of those conversations with Dill in my life, uh, both on and off, off uh, the pod. Uh, but I think male friendship is, is life giving and life saving. And it's so sad to see it be taken advantage of and, and be undermined um, and be, be joked about as if it is not something that is essential to men's lives. Something that we always talk about at, at Movember, you know, we've got these walking, talking billboards on our faces, which makes it very easy when I'm on a plane just now for someone to come up to me and strike up a conversation. I want that to be for more than a month, a year. I want it to be something that we can talk uh, to men in our lives about what is happening for us. But we know that as men age, they lose friends. It becomes deprioritized. And that's for a number of masculinity entangled reasons. One of them being as men age, they believe that, you know, their employment uh, success is, is everything. So they put all of their time in, into work. There's also this idea that when they become fathers or have a, have a long-term partner that they can't put their energy into multiple social connections for some reason. And so they, they put all of this verbal and emotional communication into, into one place being, being often the house. And then, you know, they'll go and do some stuff in the workplace and slowly, but surely the friends drop away. And the guys, whenever I talk to them, the men in their, you know, late twenties, early thirties, moving into their forties, they go, Oh, I, I love my mates. I wish I saw them, but I only see them a couple of times a year. I'm like, why? And they go, Oh, it's tough. It's difficult. And I'm like, you are not putting in the effort because you don't understand how important this is. Women's relationships, their friendships are maintained across the decades. It's, it sticks and it maintains and it keeps them alive for much longer than men. Fundamentally, you look at any longitudinal study, the guys who are still alive are the ones who have quality friendships. It doesn't matter if they smoked or they drunk or whatever it might be. It is the friendships that keep them alive. It is social connection. We are social beings. And so I, I commend men who are the ones on the group chat going, let's go out, let's do something. Where are you at? Do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to go for a coffee? We need to move beyond. And I do this with my clients all the time. They're like, yeah, I go to the pub with them every once in a while. I'm like, there are different things that men can do. Did you know that? Like the other of like rock climbing or like any random hobby out there, just like go and sit with someone, talk with them shoulder to shoulder, face to face. It doesn't matter. Don't underestimate the power of a chat. If being vulnerable and opening up is something that you really struggle with, Zach, which is what we heard on our Instagram, I think you kind of mentioned it before, but it's just baby steps, right? Like just checking in with your friend and just saying are you okay or how are you and then they might do that back is that the the baby steps to get there yeah i i really want to call out all of the guys who who want to do more of this you know and say good on you that is the you know the motivation to have these discussions the motivation to want to to share the load with others because they often say oh i don't want to i don't want to be a burden to my friends and my family and i can tell you as a clinician the greatest burden that, that you can have on anybody is holding this stuff in until crisis hits, because that is when all of your resources and your friends and family's resources get drained in an attempt to try and save you. When 
there are so many instances throughout the previous weeks or months where the load was so much less and just one conversation could have actually really helped you in a way but they cascade they they join and it leads to this waterfall of of emotion i want to say when it comes to male vulnerability we need to get away from this idea that it needs to look sound and feel the same as female vulnerability or any vulnerability for that reason every guy is going to express themselves in a totally different way i i often do uh, couples therapy and this wife once came to, to therapy with her husband and she said, you know, I talk for half an hour at the end of the day with him about what's going on. I unload, I describe my emotions and all of the things that I've been feeling and he won't give me anything in return. And I go to him, you know, what did you say to her yesterday when she described how, your, how uh, asked how your day was? And he said, I just told her it was shit. And I go to her, what did you think about that? And she goes, well, I, I then went on, it was too, it was too awkward. It was too silent. So I had to go and, and I just went and kept talking about what was happening for me. And I go, he said a lot. He said a lot in one word and you shut him down. There is power in a specific use of vocabulary, in grunts, in silence, in those feelings and the tension in the body and all of these different ways that men's vulnerability comes out anger you know is a is an expression of vulnerability in many men and obviously we want everyone to feel safe and secure but male anger cannot be shut down because it is often the only way that vulnerability and emotion is condoned to be expressed in some guys so we need to see that as an opportunity for intervention what's going on for you what what are you so shitty about what's what's happening you know why are you beeping at everyone on the road you know something's happening here and if we can slowly but surely chip away and get him to go, oh, wait a second, that actually makes sense because this thing happened at work and now I can connect it. If we can help those connections be sewed together, man, everyone is, is really going to benefit. I think that kind of relates to the ability to be able to listen, right? Like something that a lot of people in our DM said was that they have the times when they have really scarily opened up about something on the receiving end, the friends have just, like you said, shut it down quickly because they felt awkward and didn't know how to how to handle it. But how can people listening better listen? Like how can you better receive someone's vulnerability? Yeah. So firstly, I like to think that the more commonplace it becomes, the less awkward or uncomfortable it becomes. So you never really want to be the guy who once a year just like drops bombs on people. Yeah. And, and, and it's just like, oh shit, here are these extremely complex feelings I've been holding on for 360 days. It'd be great that if once a month, wherever you just let out, and this is the way that I, you know, express my emotions, I think as well, which is, is complex for the people in my life, but I, I do breadcrumbing. I just do. And I know that that's used in many other, many other worlds, but I, I don't need a massive release. It's not, it's not of interest to me. I just want to, I want to come home and just be like this thing. And I don't want to talk about it at great length either. I just wanted to let it out and just move on. And it is the ability to just describe it. So to guys, the idea that you need to, to cry and have this really intense discussion about your mental health, that's not what I want these conversations to look like. These should be commonplace day-to-day discussions about what is happening in your head. What's freaking you out? What's stressing you out? What are the things that, you know, scare you, 
And rather than building them up until it's like, I am now depressed. It's like, we don't need to get there. We can have these commonplace kind of, you know, discussions about who we are and what makes us tick much more often. But to all of those out there who are, who are listening to men and who don't really know how to respond, it's about knowing their intention and going often, most of the time, they haven't told anybody else this and they don't really want a solution. Everyone's obsessed with this idea that men are solution oriented and just want action. When in fact, the very act of voicing what is happening in his head is, is enough. And so he may well say five words. He may well speak for half an hour and, and cry like he's never cried before. Your ability to accept what he is offering and to just sit through it and to understand your own biases around masculinity and men's emotions and to just go, all right, this is, this is okay. I'm just going to, I'm going to sit through this and I'm going to ask him, I'm going to ask him what he needs because that is the issue. Everyone assumes what men need. He needs to just talk more. He needs to get this all out right now. No. What if he doesn't want to let him decide what is right and what is what is not. It like resonates when you said the thing about the person saying, oh, I just, I felt shit or I had a shit day because something that I've been thinking a lot about lately and the conversation we've been having around vulnerability is like everyone's vulnerability looks different and sounds different. And like for people who are like well-versed, I guess, in talking about vulnerable things or their emotions or whatever and like have the vocab and they're practiced in it, someone saying oh I had a shit day doesn't come across as vulnerable but like you said for them it could be like the most vulnerable thing they've done (laughs) it's like they've never told someone that before (laughs) exactly I think that there's such an issue with like expectations here around and it's often it's really funny in heterosexual relationships I often see like female psychs or, or women who are working in really emotionally you know salient jobs they often date pretty silent guys because just to you know we need an equilibrium here of how this how this chat is going to work. But as you said, vulnerability comes in all shapes and sizes. And for something, you know, when I'm talking about something traumatic that happened in my life, the majority of the time it doesn't touch the sides because I do this for a living. I'm, I'm I, you know, I I have to think about this stuff and I have to distance myself from what what it was in order to actually survive. And there are many other people who don't think about it very often. And so when they get into that space. It is, it's overwhelming and all consuming. And so it takes on a really different feel and they need much more wrapping around them in those moments. And so all it takes is asking. And if you're taken aback because suddenly he's talking in this totally different way, thank him. Thank him for taking a risk. Thank him for allowing you to be the person to hear that. And really when it comes down to it, Leveraging masculinity to your advantage means taking courageous moves towards self-betterment. That is what masculinity is all about. And that's what we want to be pushing men uh, towards in this day and age. Yeah. And and feeling like you're showing more of your authentic self rather than the ideas of what society's told you you should look like and act like. Um, just quickly, Zach, I know I've spoken to you forever, but I'd really love to get your perspective on role models because we did touch on a little bit about young guys really looking towards people like Andrew Tate or Peterson or whoever it is. Uh, like this real struggle, I think, sometimes to find post I know they're like there's probably heaps but like you know poster people for like healthy masculinity but where should young people look for role models when it comes to 
yeah, healthy masculinity. It's so interesting when you talk to young women and you ask them about their role models, the majority of them will talk about a teacher or somebody in their house, a family member. And you start to talk to men now. And there's this, for some reason, this conversation has become who are the culture warriors? Who are the men who are, who are leading the way around what masculinity should look like? I really hope that we can get to a point where the role models for men are those people that they are actually in touch with, that the, that the fathers and the grandfathers, you know, are not these distant figures anymore who are striving for their acceptance, but rather are real, are tangible and are complex individuals, because that's what is going to mean that men, young guys especially, are pulled off their phones and pulled back into reality. I often talk to, to young dads about the idea of bringing their whole selves to the dinner table, for instance. And they often say, you know, I'm vulnerable. I can, I, I can talk to him about, about anything. And I go, yeah, but you're often helping him through his struggles and you're not telling him about what it was like firstly to be a teenager yourself and how you know, tough that was for you, let alone the fact that that journey is still going. That's what we want for, for men out there at the moment, to not talk about conquering their mental health, to not talk about how they overcame things. You know, the number of footy players that Dill has spoken to who go, you know, I had anxiety. It's like we live with this stuff. It's, it's a part of who we are and it makes us stronger. And so hopefully we can get these role models who are, who are fragmented and fractured and and constantly trying to understand themselves and i think that that's what the imperfect guys do they they really try to get to the bottom of every day i'm going to start again at trying to to understand who i am and where i need to go that's what i want role models to be but they shouldn't be the panacea for young men because i want young guys to be able to go i can write my own story here i can talk about who I am and who I want to be without um, needing this North Star necessarily. Zach, I think, I'm just going to sound so cliched and stupid, but I think you will be a role model for a lot of people. Like in this space, everyone that I've spoken to when it comes to like who's the best person to have these conversations with has has mentioned you. So, um, yeah, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to, to have such a like complex conversation and appreciate you jumping on the hookup so much. Thanks, Dick. Such an important conversation. I learned so much from Zach and I, yeah, I really hope that you did as well. We're going to continue unpacking this topic next week, focusing a little bit more about how to. So like how to open up, uh, if that's something that you really struggle with, how to talk about your mental health, how to tap more into your authentic emotional self, if this is something that you struggle with. So keep an eye out in your podcast feeds. We'll catch you then. Bye. Bye.